I feel like we get to know people. So go ahead and raise your hand, right, uh, when I pose a question, on which side do you land? Would you rather keep your 20th closest friend, so whoever your 20th closest friend is, would you rather still have that friendship, or would you rather have a million dollars, okay? Who would keep their 20th closest friend? Raise your hand. You have to make a decision. Okay, about, dang, guys. All right, about 10%. Who would, who would take a million dollars? Wow, wow. I really hope I'm number 19 or up. All right, that, that was overwhelmingly a million dollars. Like 80% of us are terrible friends. Would you rather be the smartest person in the world or the most charismatic person, like everyone liking you and so on, in the world? Okay, ready? Who would rather be the smartest person? Okay, so maybe a third. You have to vote. Okay, who would rather be the most charismatic? I think that's a lot more useful, but world leadership would be amazing, like the Antichrist. Okay, would you rather be confined to a three-bedroom house your whole life, so the rest of your life you have to live in this three-bedroom house, or move to another country with no way to come home or keep in touch with anyone you knew? That makes sense? So you can move to any country in the world, but you, you have to sever all ties. No Facebook messaging, no, no videos. Or you, you could keep all your friends, live locally in Fullerton, but you have to live in your house for the rest of your life. You can't come out of it. All right, ready? Who would rather live in their house for the rest of their life? Okay, maybe 40%. Who would rather move away, leaving all friends and family behind? So that you can leave the... Per- oh my gosh. I thought we had a strong community. Man, this is discouraging. Uh, okay, last question. Would you rather move in slow motion or speak in slow motion? Like maybe 90% slower than you're moving and speaking now. Ready? Who would rather move in slow motion? See what I did there? All right. Who would rather speak in... Okay, people would rather speak. Interesting. I would rather move. Now, my favorite part of would you rather questions is kind of speaking about what you value more, right? Most of you value money more. (laughs) Now, I'm going to go into another set of questions we, we won't raise our hands. I was debating back and forth, but we won't raise our hands because I'm already discouraged. Here we go. Would you rather lose your job and house or never talk about Jesus to your neighbor? Think about that. Some of us have jobs we really like, um, a house we've saved up a long time for. Would you rather keep those things or be able to share your faith with others? Would you rather be hated by your family and all your friends or stop following Jesus? So if you had to decide between your friends and family, everyone who you care about, and a relationship with Jesus or following him, going where he's called you to go, what would you choose? Would you rather go to prison for an indefinite amount of time Or deny being a Christian? Prison sucks. 
Would you rather be executed or be silent about your faith? I think if you're real about these questions, you, there's an internal struggle inside for all of us. Um, it's, most of us can't just say, I'd rather go to prison if we're thinking about the true ramifications. Some of us can say, I'd rather deny my faith. That's a, that makes more sense to me, actually, than another person's like, oh, yeah, prison's no big deal. So there's either conflict or, or maybe you're just exploring the Christian faith. You're like, dude, I am not willing to give up those things for this thing I may or may not believe. That's totally legit, actually. Matthew chapter 10 talks about suffering. So I'm going to go through, last week we talked about Coach Popovich, right? And what it would look like to sit in the front seat of a Spurs and Cavaliers game when they're about to beat them, leaning over uh, the huddle, hearing about how to stop LeBron James, make that last three, and win the series. And so that's what we're doing in Matthew chapter 10. We're listening to Jesus give a play, give um, this itinerary of the specific mission trip to his 12 disciples on how to reach the surrounding villages for him. There are things that apply to this play that don't apply to us, but we could take all the principles out of there and say that, man, the, the hearts and the principles behind how Jesus is leading his disciples, he's leading us as well. So like with Coach Popovich, we wouldn't run that play every single game, but we can learn from his brilliance and apply uh, his principles to the way we play and coach basketball. But when we look at Matthew chapter 10, I say a fourth of it, of it has some practical implications on how to reach people, on how to trust God during the journey, on how to look for a person of peace who's, who's ready to receive the gospel, who says, come into my home and I want, you to, I want to hear about Christ. I want to open up this village to you. This, these practical principles of if they don't listen here, it's okay. Walk away and go to another village. But then three-fourths of Matthew chapter 10 is all about suffering. Isn't that interesting? That when Jesus gives a discourse about missions, three-fourths of it isn't about strategy or presentation skills or PowerPoint or being articulate. Three-fourths of it is about suffering. We're doing one sermon today. The other two delve even deeper into suffering. And it's suffering to the greatest of, of categories and the greatest extent. And I think a part of what it means to live on mission, to be someone who's willing to share the gospel and to follow Jesus, is this accepting of fear and sacrifice. And most Christians, a lot of Christians come in and we don't weigh that into what it means to be Christian. We actually consider the opposite. Like if I become Christian, I'll have more friends, I'll have more purpose, I'll be more happy, God will answer more prayers. Have we thought that being Christian and following Jesus actually means a more difficult life, a harder life? You know, um, I think when I think about the brilliance of this, I've realized that sharing the gospel with someone isn't that difficult, right? It's not that difficult. Chris, Chris Pratt just did it at the MTV Awards, right? You're, all of us are imperfect, but God's real. He loves us. And just like someone had, people had to sacrifice for our freedom to live in this country, Jesus had to sacrifice 
for the forgiveness of our sins, to extend grace to us. So that wasn't the difficult part. And that won't be difficult for any of us if we're really interested, if any of you are interested, in 30 minutes to an hour, you, I can help you understand how to articulately share your faith in a succinct and simple way, because it is succinct and simple. I can help you work on your testimony so that in three, four minutes, you'll be able to share your own Christian journey. You know what the difficult part is? Jesus nailed it on the head. It's that it takes sacrifice and suffering. That's the hardest part. One time I went rock climbing at Big Bear. It was about a uh, hundred foot ascent. And it was one of the first times I was lead climbing, which is very, uh, very scary. So you, instead of having a rope kind of drop down to you, you buckle in and you just climb. And if you fall, you fall two or three feet. You top roping or lead climbing means that you, you're just climbing with a rope dragging behind you, right? And at every 10 feet, you clip in, and then you climb more, and you clip in. And if you fall, you fall maybe 10 feet, or at worst, maybe 15 to 20 feet. You get a little injured there. My, the worst part for me was doing the rope work at the top. You climb to the very top, and you have to like anchor yourself in, pull the rope across, and then anchor your harness back in. And people, when they don't think about doing it right, they just, they die. They fall off the cliff and they die because you're, you're messing with what's holding you to the rock. Now, if I sat down with you and I showed you how to do rope work just right here on the stage, you'd be like, this is the easiest thing in the world. You know, and in 30 seconds, you're like, okay, I'm done. The hard part isn't the rope work. The hard part is you're 100 foot suspended in the air. You look back, you see all of Big Bear Lake. You know, you feel the wind at your back. And, and then you learn to breathe. You learn to accept that you're afraid. And then you clear your head and you do it because that's what you have to do. You know, I think about soldiers marching into battle. Shooting straight isn't the hard part. Hitting targets isn't the hard part. It's the fear. It's the fear of what it will cost. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. Now, verse 16 and 17 says, I'm sending you like sheep among wolves. (laughs) I'd rather be a wolf. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. So this is kind of the overlaying principle of the rest of the passage. What he's saying is that, when I'm sending you out as representatives of my kingdom, it's going to be an offensive thing to tell um, the people who are Roman that there's another king and there's another kingdom. It's going to be an offensive thing telling the Jewish religious establishment that the Messiah has come and, and what he says is greater than what you say. And as, as, peop- as they're going out, Jesus is saying that there's going to be people who want to devour you, who want to kill you, who want to cut you down and persecute you. And so he gives them these principles. He says, be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. This idea of innocence isn't naivety. It's not saying like, go out, everything's going to be okay, just walk in. No, it's, it's this judicial innocence. It's saying that you're innocent because you've done, you haven't sinned against someone else. You haven't broken um, God's laws. You haven't repaid evil for evil. You've forgiven and you've continued to live as a part of my kingdom. Be innocent, 
judicially, but be shrewd, meaning that you should be wise and cunning and, and understand the situation and try to navigate out of situations where you would be persecuted or go to prison or die. Those aren't things that you should welcome into your life. And we see the apostles do that. After um, Paul gets flogged and imprisoned, he pulls his Roman citizenship card and he says, you didn't give me a trial and you've done this without proper proceeding. All of you guys are in trouble. And they were really scared. So they were like, okay, go, go away, be free. You know, like, so he was, he was able to leverage his citizenship in order to escape prison. Um, other disciples were like escaped, um, people who are chasing them by coming out of a window, right? In this big basket and, and running away. So Jesus is saying, use the tools, your intellect, your wit, in order to escape suffering. And yet, as you do that, there's this accepting of it as well, a willingness to suffer. Again, if you're a soldier, you go into battle trying to avoid bullets, right? Trying to bunker down, shoot, not like just stand up there like Rambo style, right? But I've played those video games, Call of Duty. You sneak out, you shoot, you come back in, right? You're not trying to die, but you're willing to. That's, that's a hard place to navigate. Lastly, it says be on your guard. Get ready for a fight, right? Be, be ready to get attacked. When, when you're walking down the street, you have your hands down. But if you're in a fight, you have your hands up. You're protecting your, your face, your vital organs. You don't want to get hit in the lungs. You're maneuvering. And Jesus is saying, hey, when you go out to the world, you got to be on your guard. Why? Be on your guard. You will be hated, handed over to the local councils, and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how you will say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly, I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. So we have some really brutal things that Jesus is predicting for his disciples and others that are going to follow him and share his message. He goes through pretty much every large category of suffering possible. I don't think that there's another category I really care about. Um, Like you could kind of take anything else if you want when you include these three. And then he doesn't include just the category, but the greatest extents of those categories. Does this make sense? So he's saying, if you're going to live missionally, this might cause you flogging, being whipped, um, going to prison and death. That's like, that's the ultimate, right? Um, relationally, everyone will hate you, but this includes your family, the people closest to you. And not only will they hate you, but it says that sons will rebel against their parents and have them be put to death. That's, that's extreme. 
That's extreme hatred. I mean, I can't imagine Liam hating me so much that he wants to kill me. But that's what Jesus is predicting or, or warning his disciples about when it comes to following him. And he says that you'll lose your job and your home. You might be persecuted and have to leave one place to flee to another. And we know people in other countries right now who have had these very things happen. I've met some of them, right? Do you remember? I, I met this guy named Mohammed who became Christian and his father shot him in the stomach. I met um, these two orphans in China whose parents were executed for their faith. And they w- had to decide whether to go to a foster family or to uh, a, a really broken orphanage. Um, we have ISIS when they invaded the Christians there had to decide whether they would pay this huge fine that almost no one could afford, die, or leave their home. And many of them fled and became refugees. And, and then the question is, is the gospel and Jesus worth all of that? But verse 25 in Matthew chapter 16 says, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. And so we gave this would you rather questions in the beginning, and it felt kind of extreme. But, and we looked at this passage, and it was exactly what Jesus was preaching. So we kind of go back and ask ourselves, um, would, would we rather have Jesus share the gospel or live? You know, when I think about um, when I think about this, again, it's not easy. We all feel conflicted. The problem with me preaching is that words are binary and black and white. It's hard for me to express my conflict with you. So I just want to throw that out there. But I think to ask these questions, there's two questions behind the question, behind the would, would you rather question. Uh, that as I was thinking about this and, and envisioning my own family, my own life, um, hanging in the balance. I think the first question is, what is worth more? Right? And, and, and what is our real God? Because if we say that we'd rather not go to prison and live than die for Jesus, then my real God is my own life. If I'd say I'd rather have unity with my family than step out in faith as a Christian and be baptized or share the gospel with them, then what I'm really saying is my real God, what I'm really serving is my family. If I am to say that I'd rather have my house and my job and stay put than be a refugee for sharing the gospel, then what I'm really saying is I'm worshiping my house and my job, that that is the greatest God in my life. That is what's most valuable. And again, there's still, there's still conflict. But I think that's one of the questions behind the question, who are we really serving? What did we really give our lives to? We could walk into the Christian faith thinking that, you know, Jesus is here to answer my prayers, to make ease my pain, to lift up my life, instead of saying, I'm here to lift up Jesus, regardless of the cost and regardless 
of the suffering? Which version of the Christian faith do we walk into? And what is it that Jesus is really, what is it that Jesus is really offering? The second question behind the question is, what is the reality we really believe? Because there's this reality of our physical life right now. And Jesus is saying, if you're willing to give that up, there's an eternal life waiting for you. Now, do I really believe that there's an eternal life that spans forever, that makes my 80 years on this earth look like that? Or am I hanging on to this earthly life? Because that's where what I really know, what I really love, what I really want to prosper. You know, Jesus says, hey, if you give up this family, you have an eternal family. You, you'll have me as your father. Now, I know I see my family. I know they care about me. And is the reality of being in Jesus' family greater than that? This eternity with the Father. Am I willing to give up my house and my job in this life for riches in heaven? You know, we, we, the way we majority of the time talk about riches in heaven, it's like a joke, right? I'll pay you in riches in heaven. If you do this, you'll get treasures in heaven. Ha ha, that's funny. But God's like, actually, it's, a, it's like, I mean, in heaven, we step on gold. So what does riches in God's eyes even mean? And could we be bewildered by that again? I feel like we hang on to these things because we don't believe and we aren't sold to this other reality. It's not real enough for us. Jesus gives us promising in the suffering. In verse 20, he says that the Holy Spirit will speak through you. That there's this intimacy with the Spirit um, and with God in our suffering. And that he will be the one proclaiming his gospel, his good news, uh, while we stand in front of people of power for our faith. And secondly, it says in 22, when our kids disown us and even kill us, that those who, or our fathers, those who stand firm to the end will be saved. The second promise that in the suffering, there's an evidence that we're willing to let go of this because we really believe in that. We're willing to let go of this because we really trust in the Lord. That, that we stand firm till the end and we're saved in the sense that there's, there's real evidence to our faith and there's a security in our salvation because there's evidence to it. What I mean is um, when we suffer for something, we're saying that the other thing is more real. When we suffer for Jesus, we're saying that he's actually Lord. When we give up something for him, we're saying that he actually rules our life. So there's lip service there's even the songs we sing, and then there's the reality. You know, I hope that as we go through our Christian walk, some of us have been Christians for a long time, that we will look back and say, when I look at my Christian journey, there's evidence of it being real. There's times where I've chosen to suffer or let go or trust God over other things. And you can point 
to these episodes in your life where you did that. I I hope that when you look at your Christian life and people ask for evidence, it isn't empty. It isn't filled with you choosing all these other gods before Jesus. And I think that evidence allows us to feel, to know that we are saved. It doesn't save us, but, but it gives salvation a reality here and now. And lastly, in verse 23, what Jesus is saying is that you're going to go through all these towns and villages, and they're, they're not going to, not all of them will give their life to me. Not all of them will believe me before I return. And Jesus, in the suffering, points to his second coming and says, I'm coming back. And the best part about proclaiming my kingdom and giving up what's here for what's later is that the, this new reality will come where I come and I rule the earth. And you'll be able to point to me and say, that's the king I was talking about. This is the life and the kingdom that I proclaimed. And you will have served that kingdom and then seen its reality. There's something beautiful about that. The, the second thing I see here is that Jesus suffered it all first and for us. That he doesn't just call us to physical death or to the loss of our family or our home, but he paves the way and he does it all, right? He, he says in Matthew chapter 8, verse 20, that the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Foxes have holes, birds have nests. But Jesus came into the earth and he was willing to just travel from one place to another, even run at times, escaping from one place to another. And he lived that out. He lived out uh, abandonment from his heavenly father as he took on our sins at the cross. He yelled out in his last breath, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We see Mary and his brothers abandon Jesus as well. Um, try to say, think that he was crazy and wanting to bring him home, denying him. But I think the greatest pain that Jesus had ever suffered on earth wasn't the nails, it wasn't the flogging, but it's this separation from the Father in this eternal way, in this, from this eternal state in this temporary way that Jesus and the Father for a moment in time, in all of eternity, their relationship was broken because a man who knew no sin became sin. That's a greater separation than we'll ever be able to comprehend, even when we think about separating from the people closest to us. And lastly, he was delivered over to death for our sin. Jesus was the first martyr for his message. He was the first to lay down his life in order for us to be forgiven and to find uh, forgiveness in him. When we think about the gospel, I wonder if it's, if it's something we've just heard a hundred times, if it's some word that we just throw around, something that we've just been raised with, a concept that we've gotten so familiar with, or if it's, if it's something worth our life, our job, our families, if it's worth all of that. Because Jesus says, man, I came to earth to die on the cross for your sins. 
God himself loves us. God himself came to rescue us. God himself sacrificed on the cross, gave his life in order for us to find forgiveness and eternal life in him. When we walk into our families, into our workplaces, into our campuses, do we hold that as precious and weighty and worth giving it all up for? Do we look at the person next to us and long for them to find salvation? You know, there's this, uh, I was driving to meet up with Benedict for lunch, but as I was pulling onto the on-ramp of the 57, there was a car that looked like it got totaled, um, hit, hit, hit a post. And then I saw someone coming out of it. All the airbags were deployed. And I, I immediately pulled aside. Someone else pulled aside. And it looked like it was smoking. The other person was helping him out of the car. I called the police, uh, 911. Ambulance came. I just sat with him. I rubbed his back as he was crying. But he looked okay. He was walking around. He was talking. And... There was just this longing for his life to to find Jesus, the Savior. You know, um, when I walk to the grocery store, when I'm when I'm with my waitress, I'm just like, man, is there an opportunity for me as I hold this really heavy, valuable, um, profound message that God loves you, that He welcomes you into His family? that he wants to give you value and peace and forgiveness, how, how does it weigh in our hands for others so that we're willing to give it all up in order for them to hear? I think of it as a way of life and a mentality, meaning that how do we walk through this life because most of us, right, if we're, we're probably not going to be put in prison, probably. We're probably not going to face execution. We're probably not going to have our, Liam's probably not going to kill me over my Christian faith. 99% chance. Other people face it. They stare it down. In many ways, we don't. But I wonder if even in the comfortableness of our life, we walk in this abandonness that we would give it all up for the Lord. And that in the ways he has called us to sacrifice, we're willing to sacrifice to that degree, to, to allness. When he says, hey, be bold with your po- co-worker, do you immediately hear, does that immediately get trumped by, wait, I'm not supposed to talk about my faith at work? Or are you willing to sacrifice that? When the Lord tells you to give up a week of your summer for these foster kids or even to adopt one day, do you immediately think, oh, wait, I have all these other plans? Or are you surrendered to the Lord? When the Lord asks you to put some relationships at risk, you know, or to be bold about your faith to your volleyball friends, are you willing to take them out to, to brunch and say, hey, there's a God who loves you and who died on the cross for your sins? Is that a part of what you hold and your longing? And are you willing to sacrifice you know, there's this, um, there's this moment where, where Thomas is walking into the room and all the disciples who were doubting and afraid, they got to see the resurrected Jesus. They got to see their faith and even the lack of their faith be realized that Jesus did come alive. 
that he is real, that he has conquered death, that he is the Messiah. After denials, after hiding in a room, after quivering in fear and locking doors, Jesus and the reality of who he is shows up in front of him. Thomas walks in a little late. He doesn't see Jesus, but they're all like crying, yelling at him. No, he's real. And Thomas says, until I touch his nails with my hands, until I touch the piercing in his, in his side, I will not believe him. Jesus walks in and he says, Thomas, touch my hands, touch my side. And Thomas just breaks down, my Lord, my God. But then Jesus, in that moment, I think he, he says something not to his disciples in the room, but to us, his other's disciples. He said, blessed are those who have not seen and still believe. That's us. None of us I, that I know of have seen Jesus face to face, and yet we believe. And he said, there's a blessing there. Ultimately, our suffering is about glorifying God and blessing him. And it's a short time. It's a short time where we get to gift God sacrifice, where we get to gift God believing through the doubt, where we get to gift God um, serving someone who's in need. For the rest of eternity, we worship God face to face. There's no room for doubt then. For the rest of eternity, we live in his new kingdom and there's no one who's suffering. There's no immigrants. There's no foster kids. Everyone has a family and a kingdom. For the rest of eternity, we have it all. But in this short time, we get to give God this worship and this, this glory that's doused in tears and suffering and sacrifice. And, and there's a great and unique aspect of worship there that we'll never have again. And Jesus receives that. God, I just thank you so much for my family here. And I hope that today they would again ask whether you are real and whether you are worth abandoning our lives for. I hope, Lord, that the things that we have clung on to so tightly or the ways that we have sought you to serve us, that we've held you hostage and we've been bitter about, we would start letting that go because that's not what the Christian faith is about. You are our king. You are our God. And we are called to lay down our lives for you. Father, I just pray that in this moment we would choose to live open-handedly and abandoned to whatever you have for us this week. Would you just make, just ha- sh- um, say a quick prayer, if you're willing to, to the Lord this morning and just say, God, I surrender my life to you. I want to lose my life for you. That you would approach your life without any entitlements. That everything you have would be as an open hand for worship before the Lord. Jesus, we're so grateful for the cross. 
you laid it all down for us first. You're that kind of king. You don't just demand things of your servants. You do it above and beyond. And then you inspire us. I pray, Lord, today as we take communion, that we would see this God who loves us so much that he gave his life for us. There's there's no other way to receive and respond than to give our lives to you. Just invite you to take communion if you're a believer to again remember his sacrifice for us.